do you remember your first job? Was it washing dishes, making coffees, or stacking shelves? I found myself a job in a scene painting studio just off Tottenham Court Road uh, in London. For Les Blakebra, his first job was kind of glamorous. Where they made the, the sort of flats and the backdrop for the London shows. I was the colour boy and my job was to, uh, to look after the colour palettes. He worked in Covent Garden, London's theatre district. It was a pretty electric place to be. There was always a, a string of interesting people that came by to see what was going on. You know, Helpman came, Fontaine came. Fontaine and Helpman were the principal dancers. They were doing Swan Lake. Rings and rings and rings of balconies. But the stage itself was another thing altogether. That was Les's entree to the arts. 70 years on, he's one of Australia's master ceramic artists. This is Object, a podcast about design and contemporary craft in Australia. I'm your host, Lisa Carl from the Australian Design Centre. In Series 1, you'll meet the master craftspeople we call living treasures. What makes them a living treasure? What has driven them to a lifetime love of their craft? Is it the material, the process or both? How do they contribute and advocate for the arts? And what's their advice for makers who follow in their footsteps? Let's meet living treasure, master of Australian craft, Les Blakeborough AM. In a career spanning seven decades, Les Blakeborough has become one of Australia's most acclaimed and influential ceramic artists. The Australian Design Centre made Les Blakeborough the first living treasure master of Australian craft in 2004. In this episode, you'll hear about Les's experiments in the early days, why he went from ceramics maker to porcelain producer, and how Australia's first National Craft Association was founded. The ceramics of Les Blakebro ranged from earthy functional wear to more delicate forms made with southern ice porcelain, a material known as having the whiteness of snow and the translucence of ice. In fact, he used this southern ice to make Tasmania's wedding gift to Mary Donaldson and Crown Prince Frederick of Denmark. Les Blakeborough lives on Durrawal country in the Illawarra region of New South Wales. Les, you spent your childhood in England and your dad was a cabinet maker. Did making happen in your family? It was a business operation with my grandfather, who was a builder. My recollections of that workshop were um, with my father working the machines and, and making mountains of wood chip curled up timber. And um, the, there used to be, uh, you know, a great heap of it and you could get lost in it. And whereabouts in England was your childhood home and, and the factory? 
in Essex, uh, down at a place called Clacton-on-Sea. And you found yourself by the sea again now as well. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Your journey to becoming a ceramic artist was not a straightforward journey, as, but certainly a very interesting one. Tell us how you ended up at art school studying painting in Sydney in the early 1950s. I'd been in Australia for three, four, five years, um, having the, the, the rough edges knocked off in the bush and what have you and learning all those, a lot of bush skills, and then eventually found my way, way to Sydney. I needed to get serious with my life and that I was going to go to art school. I thought at the time, initially, that I wanted to be a painter. Sadly, the thing was that I was, I was in love with the idea of being a painter. It didn't always gel. Sometimes it, it did, but... Uh, it was a, a difficult, sort of reluctant, kind of funny kind of time until I went to a party down in, in a house in Elizabeth Bay Road in Sydney and I met a, a, a Dutch painter there called Havocus, Gerard Havocus. He was uh, working away at a large sort of slab of clay it was going to be the, the canvas for a sort of painting. I thought, oh, that's sort of interesting idea. And, uh, and he suggested that go and introduce yourself to the ceramics department up in that institution that you're spending so much time in. So um, I, I sort of put my head in the door and went in and met Rushforth and, and Douglas I managed to sort of persuade them to, to sort of take me on mid-year. I shifted from painting to ceramics. And this is at East Sydney Technical College. This is all at East Sydney Tech, yeah. Which is now the National Art School. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What made you turn to ceramics? One of the attractive things about ceramics was that you started to use your hands you could manipulate material and, and sort of do things with it. And there was a kind of chemistry that was involved that uh, Cole Levy introduced me to. That, and, and between us, we had a sort of collaboration going. We were desperately trying to make high temperature stoneware and porcelain. And Levy and I would sort of do these experiments trying to make reduced glazes and the kilns weren't set up to do it, but there'd be screams from the women when, we, when Levy and I would pelt naphthalene balls into the kiln. The sparks would fly and the yellow smoke billowed everywhere and it was toxic as all get out. You wouldn't get away with some of that experimentation these days, though, at National Art School, would you? <laughs> no way! <laughs> I think there'd be more than screams that would be going on. <laughs> we were embarking on our stuff and uh, irrespective almost of what, kept, what went on in the course, we were making earthenware that was trying to be stoneware. Working with Levy, who was, who was always pretty inventive, it was... Uh, a great introduction, I must say. 
I was intrigued. That was the thing about it. I got I got caught up in it because I was I was fascinated by the process, and and I, I couldn't get enough of it. So after training at East Sydney Technical College, Les, you were apprenticed to Ivan McMeekin at Sturt Pottery in Mittagong and studied under Takachi Kawai in Japan. And then you're approached to come back to teaching and academia in Tasmania. I'd taken time off from teaching. I think I, I think I might have been teaching one day a week, but the rest of the time I was running my private studio. And the head of the school came to me and said, "Listen, mate." This is at University of Tasmania. The, yeah, this was at the Centre for the Arts by then. Said, "Listen, mate, I want you to come back. I want you to come back full time." I said, Jeff, I said, why would I want to do that, you know? He said, well, he said, I need you to come back. He said, I want somebody there who's going to light a fire under it. I actually think that it was quite a unique time because within the Art Academy, people who were teaching had often been workshop trained. Ben Richardson makes ceramics in Tasmania. He was a student of Les's, taught with him, and was a co-researcher on Southern Ice Porcelain. When the people like Les Heading programs had been workshop trained but were in a more perhaps experimental or exploratory environment and were also responsible for not the training of a worker, which really the workshop is a, a lot about. It was the, the nurturing of a personal voice, of a, of a commitment to practice, and of learning from someone who had a really strong sense of form. I was lucky to be around someone who had the commitment, but really a good eye, to really look at their work and, and assess whether it's working, whether it's not, what could be changed, what could be better. It all transpired. I did, I did go back, started working on research projects. And that was when you expanded your practice from working with porcelain as a maker to researching and developing your own un- unique porcelain? Uh, yeah, well, see, through, through, through the 70s and 80s, I, I, I'd always felt that the, the white clay that I'd been using, uh, the commercial clays, they, the, the, they never quite came up to the mark. I wanted a clay that you could knead possible to sort of uh, prepare for throwing. I wanted it to be able to throw well um, and, and not be such a, you know, a, a, a difficult uh, material to handle. And I wanted it very white. I, I wanted it to be whiter than anything else. And gradually we got it there. I wanted to give it a name that located it in the part of the world where we, where, where we created it. And, 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 and so it, it, it got to be called um, uh, Southern Ice. And, and the, the damn stuff just took off. Uh, all of a sudden there was an export market 
in Britain, in France, in Germany, people started to sort of appreciate its qualities and, and, and couldn't get enough of it. What stands out to me about his work, the first thing is that it's just always a pleasure to look at and wonder about. I love it. I love looking at it. Grace Cochran, AM, is a curator, writer and historian. The early works are often strong and substantial stoneware and the later works are characterised by their lightness and strength and often translucency using that southern ice porcelain where people love looking through them. The local environment seems to be central to almost everything he does. And you'll see some works referring to the Derwent, which is Hobart's river, forest floor. There's one series called In the Long Grass with Claudia Rose, his granddaughter, and you can see the long grass along the beach. There's fishnets. Contour, I think, could be oceans or desert landscapes. And then there's the wonderful Fortescue Bay kelp series. Those thematic things across all of this time still evident in his work, and that's what I find really impressive. And presumably you're getting uh, a delivery of Southern Ice every time you want it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, it's uh, much, well, it's dwindled down. I mean, my, it's my daughter, Sabelle, who's sort of making use of it. The, I... I uh, I, I'm, I, I've given up making making stuff. I uh, my uh, um, uh, I had a go at making some things a little while ago, and and I was so frustrated and uh, and upset that I couldn't really do what I used to do. And and so I, I sort of thought, this is silly. I'm making fake Blakebrus. <laughs> uh, you know, and I've, I've got to I've, I've sort of call it halt because uh, this is, you know, it's mad, you know. I miss it a lot. It's what goes hand in hand with being bloody 91, you know. Yes, and happy birthday, by the way. I believe it was your birthday this week. Yeah, yeah. Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, well, 91. Throughout your career, you've been a visionary advocate for craft and you were a founding member of the now defunct Crafts Board of the Australia Council. What was that experience like and how do you think that time affected the crafts? There was a, a, quite a long time when, you know, I, I was a, a ceramist and, and that was the beginning and end of it. But uh, there got to be a time when I, I realised that, that the horizon needed to open up. The board work that I sort of worked on was sort of being able to fund people to extend their work. One of those things uh, was was a loan scheme, uh, where we we'd lend people money, um, and and it would come back on a interest free sort of a, but or very low interest free returns, you know, and and paid back on a regular basis. I mean, that that was an initiative that we were able to take in Tasmania, 
that we couldn't we couldn't get that to fly in Sydney. The bureaucrats in Sydney didn't want to know. You know, I mean, the the idea of of lending money and getting money back, or like the, 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 it was just an anathema to them. You know, <laughs> we've been working away at sort of setting up the the craft associations around the country in, in a loose arrangement, but the, then also there had to be a, a an organisation which was sort of, you know, the Craft Association of Australia. We got ourselves an office at 35 King Street in, in Sydney. And, um, oh, and, uh, yeah, that's right, we bought a chair and a typewriter. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was pretty basic. A lot of things followed from that. Fantastic. And, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't be sitting here today at Australian Design Centre if it wasn't for that initiative. Me, this has been a whole sort of journey about ceramics as well as everything else because I knew so little about ceramics when Les and I first met. Anne Ferrin is one of Australia's leading photographic artists. I met him in Hobart and he, you know, very sweetly said, oh, I'll come round to the studio and I never went. I wasn't that interested. <laughs> but of course, you know, with somebody for, we've been together now for 15 years and it's been amazing to understand a bit more about the way he works and to watch him work. I mean, when I first saw those things that he makes, they're so pristine looking. They look almost like the products of an immaculate conception. They spring into being, just being like that because they're so perfect and so often, you know, exquisitely fine in their, in their making. But now I, I, I see what goes into that and, you know, how exacting that process is. Everything he does is just so exacting. And the other thing that's really impressed me, I guess, over the years is just to watch Les invent new forms and new ways of working. And, I mean, you know, he's not, he's not even in his middle age anymore. He's an older person and yet he still finds these new... I guess, new inspirations and makes things that he's never made before. And some of them are, and like he says, fiendishly difficult. And it's true. They are, you know, I see what he, he is attempting and how often, you know, they come to grief because they're just right at the limits of what is possible to do with that material, even though, you know, we all know it's very forgiving, etc., etc. The obvious example would be those kelp bowls, those kelp bowls that are created out of, you know, strips of clay that Les, first of all, he makes the strips in this kind of, I have to say, laborious way. It means that, you know, they're very beautiful. Each one of those is very beautiful. And then he would be making these enormous bowls with these strips. And the problems, I think, were to do with shrinkage and getting this thing that had so many joins and so many, you know, points where it had been made to come together, not to pull apart in the kiln. And I was always saying, can't you make a smaller one? It would be so much easier. And, you know, just to support this thing when it was still, before it was dry, all sorts of problems because of this sort of ambition. And I saw so many come out of the kiln that were, you know, just torn apart. 
and yet some survived and they're you know they are really beautiful and special yeah so it's been it has been extremely interesting and enlightening and you know now I'm collecting ceramics as well and you know just very aware of what it, what it means I guess Listen, let me ask you something about um, about living treasures. Les, you were the first living treasure master of Australian craft. What did that mean to you? Oh, it was a huge boost. Yeah, I, I, I'm sort of eternally, eternally grateful uh, to um, Brian Parks. Yes. Yeah, Brian, Brian somehow made all that possible, I think, and... Uh, Somehow or other, you sort of re-emerge, uh, or they just somebody discovers you again. Yeah, I mean it was uh, pretty special. There were several aspects to it that certainly changed my life. Uh, not least uh, of which was meeting Anne Ferron. That's amazing that Living Treasures brought you and Anne together. Yeah, my partner Sal who died of ovarian cancer in Tasmania a year or two earlier. And I can remember we had a big dinner at the Marigold restaurant and uh, my friend Jonathan came from, you know, he was from from Hobart and, and he invited Anne Ferron to come. And um, it provided that nucleus for that relationship to start. It's been, it's been more than special. It's, it's been magic. That was Les Blakeborough, looking back on over 70 years of practice. Just published by Watermark Books is an autobiography, Les Blakeborough, a memoir. One thing I value from talking to Les was his work with many others advocating for contemporary craft in the 70s, 80s and 90s. They paved the way for organisations like Australian Design Centre to do the work we do today. I was impressed with his forward thinking in developing an Australian exportable porcelain that is still being made today. You can see images of Les's work on the show notes page on our website, including the dinner set he made for Mary and Fred of Denmark. Just go to australiandesigncentre.com slash podcast. In the next episode of Object, you'll meet metalsmith Robert Baines. I was drawn to the colour of red, uh, not because of its colour, but by the condition of red. Red does denote emotion and um, anger and affection and love. Why confine your piece to the colour of the material that you're using? If you've been enjoying Object, we'd love you to rate or review us on iTunes. Object is a podcast by the Australian Design Centre. The Gadigal people of the Eora Nation are the traditional custodians of this place we now call Sydney where the Australian Design Centre is located and where this podcast was made. We'd like to thank the Australia Council for the Arts for funding support for OBJECT. You can follow the Australian Design Centre on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. OBJECT is produced by Jane Curtis in collaboration with Lisa Carl and Alex Fiveash. Sound engineering 
by John Jacobs. Thank you for listening. <laughs>